morning. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to take it up and turn with me uh, to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. That will be our text for this morning, and we'll get to that in a, in a moment. Um, if you don't have a Bible, we would encourage you to follow along. You can find a Bible on the pew back in front of you, um, and you can find uh, this reading on page 884 uh, in, the, in the Bible that's uh, provided for you. We're in the middle of a series that we called Live Like It Matters, and it starts on the premise is this, that I don't know, I've not met someone who says, I want to live a life of insignificance. I want to live a life that doesn't matter, that nobody cares about. I've not met anybody who wants to live a life that, who approaches life in that way. But rather, we have people who are continually saying, I want to know that I matter. I want to know that my life matters, and I want to live a life of significance, that I want to live a life that has purpose. Now, we may say that we haven't succeeded in that. We may say that we haven't, uh, we haven't done well in that, but it wasn't from, from a lack of desire. It may have been for a whole bunch of different reasons. But what we're saying is that we all want to matter. We all want to live lives that matter. We all want to live lives of significance. This week, I was, uh, I was at the gym, and as I was making my way towards the equipment, then I saw on the, there, was a, there was a whiteboard, and so someone had, uh, had written on the whiteboard, they were, in, they were uh, talking about a new class that's coming up. And so it's a weight loss class, so it caught my attention. Um, but it was a weight loss class, and then at the bottom of the board, it written, somebody had written in their handwriting and said, there's, there's strength in numbers. There's strength in numbers, Right? Um, and it, that also caught my attention. Of course, we understand that to be true because if you want to, it's hard. Have you tried to lose weight on your own? It's hard. It's a hard thing to do because we're easy on each other. I'm easy on me. Most of the time, I'm like, oh, this burger won't matter that much. I'm sure, uh, I'm sure it'll, I'll sleep it off. Um, <laughs> something. Because if we want to actually achieve the goal then it helps to have other people on the journey with us, striving in the same direction. If you want to live a life that matters, I want to suggest to you, if you want to live a life that matters for now and for eternity, you can't do it alone. You won't do it alone. That if we want to live lives that actually matter, then we need to be in deep, rich, Jesus-centered community. We need the church. If you want to live a life that matters, we need to be in the church. Acts chapter 2, we see the beginning, the fledgling beginnings of the church. I just want to read, we only have a couple of verses together, but I want to talk about these and tease these out. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. 
So what has happened in Acts chapter 2 is that God had given his spirit, and then Peter preached the first Christian sermon. He, he preached a sermon, and at the end of his sermon, 3,000 people uh, came to faith. 3,000 people were, were converted. They had an instant megachurch in one day from one sermon. That's never happened to me. In case you were wondering, it's, it's never, never happened. But today could be the day. You never know. I'm going to be optimistic. This is going to be a good one. You're in for a treat. I'm kidding. That, was, that, was, that wasn't in my notes. That's, you just, you'll be encouraged to know. He preached, and there was 3,000 people came to faith. And then what happened? And then these people were hanging out together. Th- these people couldn't get enough of each other. That's, that's what happens. That's what he says here. They, they devoted themselves. They were what? Every day, verse 46, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. So where were they getting together? They were getting together in the temple courts. And then where, they, where did they go? Then they went into their homes, and they had food together. These people who came to faith in Jesus Christ because of Peter's sermon and because of the work of the Holy Spirit, they came to faith, and then they, got, they came together as a community. They were just hanging out together. They couldn't get enough of each other. And, and here's, here's the thing. People who are like me, pastors, are guilty, and, and I may be as well. You may say you're, you fit perfectly in, who lay guilt trips on people for not showing up at church, right? For not showing up. And, and we have a tendency, we have a bad habit, people in my profession have a bad habit of, of, of sort of beating people like you and, and making you feel guilty for not coming to church enough or being at church enough or whatever else. I mean, because... And, and part of the reason is because the statistics aren't great as far as the way, if you were to navigate your way through uh, the American culture today, culture's changed. And so uh, on average, the average church attender is, is going to church 1.7 Sundays a month. Um, so if you've been here three times this month, don't give yourself too high a marks, but we're glad that you're here. 1.7 Sundays a month. So what that means, and those are the people, those aren't the people that are just sort of, eh, maybe so. No, those are people who are committed to church. If you're committed to your church, then they're there on average 1.7 Sundays a month. So what that means is there's people who would, the people who went basically uh, every four Sunday, for, you know, four Sundays in a row, are now coming three Sundays, and the people that were going coming three Sundays are now coming two Sundays, and the people that were coming two Sundays are now coming one Sunday, and the people that were coming one Sunday are coming every six to eight weeks. They're coming to your church, something like that. That's sort of the national average. And so pastors like me get nervous, and they get together, and they start to bemoan the fact that people aren't coming to church anymore, and things have changed, and they have changed. And, but that's not what's happening here. They couldn't stop these people from being together. When there was a movement of God's Spirit in these people, these people longed for one another. If we want to live a life of significance, if we want to live a life of value from now and to eternity, I suggest to you, again, we can't do it alone. But we must do it with one another, and we must do it for one another. I think that's what's happening here. But let's look a little bit more closely. The first thing we're going to notice is this, that it, has to be, it will happen with different people, different people. So these people who came together, these 3,000 people who came to faith and were getting together and couldn't stop being together, they were meeting in the temple courts, they were meeting in one another's homes, and they were hanging out, and then what was happening is more every single day were being added to their number because these people continued to keep meeting together and caring for one another, but there were different people. Who were these people? Well, 
In order to figure that out, we have to look at the beginning of Acts chapter 2, where we were last week, where we spent, or, or, or yeah, last week we were together, we were looking at this. Who were these people? Well, in verse 9, they were Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia. And so there's these people coming from all over there. They were Cretans, they were Romans, they were Arabs. They were, these are the people that were together. Now, these people who were together in, who came to faith had nothing in common. There was no reason that they would, have, that they would interact with one another. There's no, there's no reason they would invite one another into their homes. Why would they? They didn't have any natural commonality other than they were people. They didn't speak the same language. They didn't look the same. At least they didn't speak the same natural language. But there they were, Jews and Gentiles, Romans, Cretes, Cretans, Arabs. There they were gathered together with no natural link but the fact that they had come to faith in Jesus Christ. What had brought these unusual people together? Jesus. Their faith had brought them together. These were people who had no natural reason to be together, but because they understood who Jesus is and because they put their faith and trust in Jesus, then all of a sudden they were drawn to one another. There was a bond that was there that different people were bonded together because of faith, because of faith. And that is the church. In the church, we have a very diverse, we ought to have a very diverse group. We have people with lots of different interests. We have conservatives and liberals. We have Republicans and Democrats. We have Viking fans and Packer fans. We have Starbucks people and Caribou people who still have time to repent. <laughs> we have a diverse group of people who wouldn't normally hang out together, but we're together. Why? Because Jesus brought us together. That's why we're together. With a whole variety of different ways. And yet here we are. And the commonality is Jesus. That's why we gather. That's who we are. If we want to live a life that matters, then we need to have purposeful, intentional, deep, rich relationships with people who are different than you, who challenge your assumptions. They need you, and you need them. If we're going to be a, a robust community of people who actually live lives of significance and value, then you can't have people that just think like you, that just act like you, that just talk like you. We must be able to be those who pursue deep, real relationships with people who are different than we are, because they need you and you need them to figure out how we work out this thing called faith together, as we figure out how we walk with Jesus together, because people walk with Jesus differently than you do, and because they have a different life experience, and they need you and you need them. If we are going to live lives of significance, we must pursue, we must push into people who challenge us, who are hard for us to love, and some of them are brutal to even like, but that's what we're called to. This week we brought in uh, someone who is coming and training our staff on what it means to be a disciple maker and how we can be better disciple makers. And, 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 and one of the things that he said, he said a lot of very good things, but one of the things that he said, he says, there's a continuum that if, you are going to, if you're going to live on mission, if you are going to be a disciple maker, if you're going to do and achieve the goal for which you are called, which we are called, which the church is called, to be witnesses and to make disciples, he said, then you need to have and he gave categories of relationships. 
right? So these are the categories. First, he says that you need to know people that are far from God, people that are far from God. The second, he said, was this. The second category is those who are seekers of God, those who are seekers of God. Third are those who are new believers, who have just come to trust in God, or new Christians. Fourth is this, that they are growing believers. And fifthly, that they are mature believers. These, these are the categories, he said. And then he went and he said this. Now, if you're going to be an effective disciple maker, if you're going to go be an effective witness, if you're going to be effective in what God calls the church to be and what he calls you to do, now, do you have names of people in your life for whom you have significant relationships in every category? If not, then why not? And so I sat there, and we sat there. And so I, said, I figured I'd like you sit there and think about it. Because if we are going to live lives of significance, we can't do it alone, and we must have people that are different than us. We must have people. Do you know somebody who you have a significant relationship who's far from God? And how will that impact your relationship with God and your faith? Or someone who's exploring faith, or someone who's new to faith, or someone who's growing in faith, or someone who's been in faith for years. If you're a regular in church and you, and you regularly fill, your, fill these halls with your body, then you probably have plenty of people in the growing and in the mature part. It's probably the other parts that maybe need a little bit of work. I found it very challenging, but if we want to actually live lives that matter, then we need to be with different people, and we need to figure out how we, with different people, might be able to love Jesus and follow Jesus and work this out. So they were with different people, but if we want to live a life that matters now and for eternity, we will be with different people who are devoted to community. We will be in a devoted community. That's what you see in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They were devoted to community. And this is what happened. So when the church gathered together, what is it they were, they were doing? They were, they were gathering together in a corporate setting, right? They were at the temple worshiping, and they were also in their homes. And what were they doing? What was the church doing? What's the task of the church when they gather? First is this. We learn together. They learned together. They, they committed themselves. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching is simply what we would refer to these days as the New Testament, the back half of your Bible. The apostles were teaching, and they were recorded, and they are the New Testament. And so they're committed to the Scriptures because it's in the Bible that what would we find in the Bible? We find the Bible that God has revealed himself in his word, which is the Bible, and the Bible is a, is a book predominantly about Jesus and his story and what Jesus has done for us, how God through Christ has reconciled us to himself. So if we are to be a community, if we are to be a community, then we need to learn together. That's why we gather together. That's why when we come together in a large group setting, we use as our text the Bible. And when we are in small group settings, we open the Bible together because we ask God by his spirit through his word to transform our lives so that we might be able to experience Jesus more, that we might be able to experience Jesus together. We study his word together. It is a church that is foundationally rooted in the scriptures. If you find yourself as a guest with us today and, you, and you're, you're bouncing around trying to find a church home, then whether it is this church or another church, the type of church, in order to be able to live the life that's honoring to God and a life that matters, has to be a church that is rooted into the Scriptures. We have to be in the Bible. 
because that is where truth comes from. That is where God is revealed. They went to the apostles' teaching. Their community wasn't just rooted in the fact that they liked each other, that they rooted for the same football team. It was rooted in the fact that they were learning the word of God together. If we're going to be devoted to community, if we're going to live lives of significance, it has to be built on the foundation of the word of God. Second, that they, so they learned together to being devoted to community. It says that they, they, devoted, they were devoted to fellowship. They were devoted to fellowship. There were 3,000 plus people who were different. They had different backgrounds. They spoke different languages. They had different preferences. When you have those types of people and you put them together, is relationship easy or is it hard? My guess is tough. It's hard. So you have to be devoted to relationship. You have to be devoted to fellowship. It's more, it's much more than when I, the church I grew up in, we had the fellowship hall, right? And that's where they served coffee, right? It's like, hey, let's have fellowship. And they, it, all right. there's nothing wrong with having a fellowship hall and a room to have coffee. I like coffee. I'm a fan. What I'm saying is that's not fellowship. That's a poor excuse. That's, it, can't, it has to be much more significant than that, doesn't it? What does it actually mean for us to be devoted to fellowship? To be devoted to fellowship means that we're committed to people. We're committed to relationships. Because sometimes it's really hard to love people. Sometimes it's hard to, it's especially if they're people that are different than us. But if we're going to live a life that really matters now and for eternity, it means that we are going to have to go after people who are different than us, people who frustrate us, people who we don't particularly like, people, and we're going to have to work it through. We're going to have to work at the relationships. For ourselves and for, well, sort of, but for the glory of God. They were devoted to the fellowship. Our culture tells us, the narrative of our culture is sort of, um, we don't want to show weakness. We don't want to, never let them see you sweat. Don't, don't, don't let your guard down. Always control your personal narrative. That's, but the life in the church couldn't be more opposite than that where we have to admit that we don't have it together. We have to admit that we're sinners to get in, that, we, that we'll never have it all figured out. But we're on this journey of faith together, and we're committed to one another, people who are different than us, people who are broken like us. And this is what the church is to be about. Not only did they learn together, but they were living together, and they were working together. They were working out the relationship. They were working out their faith together. And so must we. That's the calling of the church. That's the type of community we're supposed to be. And I suggest to you, it's exceedingly difficult, but oh, so important. As I was preparing and as I was, they came across this article of a, a fascinating article of a gentleman who, um, who was just, he was writing about his own journey and he was writing about his own story. And he, I don't know how old the gentleman is who was writing it, but he talked about the fact that he, from his earliest times, and when he was, particularly right after high school, he, he found, he knew himself to be gay. And then he says, and, and, and as his journey went on, at some point, he found himself coming to faith in Jesus Christ. So here he is, someone who is gay, who now is a follower of Jesus Christ, and he's trying to figure these things out, and he, he hasn't found a place in church where he fits. And he's trying 
And his normal pattern would be to come and to go to a worship service and then to try to get out as quickly as he possibly could out of the building. And then he writes, and I just share this with you. After the service concluded, I began to sneak out of the building when some guy literally began to yell my name. I turned around and slowly began making my way toward this unashamed shouter who successfully interrupted my escape. I recognized him immediately, Kyle. A couple of weeks prior, Kyle, a staff member at the church, had introduced himself via Facebook message after running across one of my blog posts, seeing my picture, and recognizing me as a regular visitor. He reached out, to shake, uh, he reached out his hand to shake mine, introducing himself again, and after a few minutes of chit-chat, he released me from what I'm sure he could tell was a terribly awkward situation for me. But little did I know that terribly awkward situation would be the beginning of an incredible friendship, a friendship that would transform my life in a million different ways. At his prodding, Kyle and I started meeting once a week for breakfast. Most guys I knew only got together to do things, throw the football, build something, shoot something, or other things I lacked the ability to do. This was the first time I regularly met with another man just to talk. I thought our conversations would be forced and awkward, but they weren't at all. They were fluid, honest, and comfortable. He did not shy away from my messy homosexual past or my ongoing struggle with those tendencies. He spoke comfortably about, the stru- about this struggle of mine, not painting it as weirder or worse than any of his, of his own struggles. Kyle engaged me in the way that didn't make me feel like, feel my personality or my sin struggles invalidated me as a man. He treated me like an equal, an equal in Christ, and an equal in manhood. Kyle was working out community. He was working at, work, forging ahead. Is it comfortable? Is it easy? No. Is it necessary? Is it vital? Absolutely. If we want to live lives of significance and of value, then we must pursue relationships with one another. We must forge through the awkwardness. Because why? Because it matters. Because it's important. They were different people. They were learning together. If they were devoted to community, they were learning together. They were lived together, and they praised together. They praised together. That's, what it's, that's the significance of them saying to, to the breaking. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and to prayer. All of the commentators say that this breaking of bread means, last, means the, the communion. It means that they're celebrating communion together. So what were they doing? They were celebrating communion together. They were praising God together as a community. They were praising God. They devoted themselves to the worship and the praise of God. And at the very center of that is what Jesus has done, is who Jesus is and what he had done. That's the significance of communion, reminding ourselves of who Jesus is and what he's done. C.S. Lewis has this quote. He says this, that we delight to praise what we enjoy Because the praise does not only express our delight, it actually completes our enjoyment. What he he means is this. If there's something that we enjoy, we sing the praises of whatever it is that we enjoy. And when we do that, it's not just because we delight in whatever it is, the object. It's, it's It's the sharing in it actually completes the enjoyment of it. So if, if you have 
um, a song that you love, a song that you just really enjoy? Do you, do you normally just have a dance party by yourself? No. You invite other people into the song. You say, come listen to this song. And next thing you know, your living room is bouncing up and down because you're enjoying the song. Unless it's classical music, then it's different. <laughs> but you understand. My, my kids, they watch these YouTube videos. They, they watch YouTube videos. But they, they, and then when there's something that they like, they say, come watch this. Come watch this. I don't want to watch YouTube videos. They're stupid. But they love them, and so I go and watch them. And they, what does it do? It, it completes the joy of watching the video. It's... The other day, <clears throat> we were at a restaurant. We were, having, we were having dinner together, having a meal together, and the Twins game was on. And so we were eating, and, we were, and I was watching, and it should have been focused on my family. I was focused on the game. And there's a guy. I don't remember who, which, which one of the outfielders it was, but he made this, um, this diving play. He went, he went running, and he grabbed it, and he dove, and he slid across the outfield, and he had the ball. You saw the ball sort of bouncing in his glove, and he made this catch, and I go, whoa. And you know what the exact next thing I did? Watch this. There was the replay. You guys got to see this. Why? Because it was something that I delighted in and that they want, it, com, the completion of the delight was that they enjoyed it with me. And so it is with the people. They were coming together. And what were they doing? They were praising God. They were coming in around the communion table. They were saying, whoa, look what Jesus has done. And they didn't keep it to themselves. But they were inviting other people along. And when they invited other people along to praise God with them, what did it do? It completes their enjoyment. That's what we do. That's worship. That's why we gather here. It's because you and I come together and we sing praises and we look into the word of God and we learn together and we live together and we're rooted in the fact that we're all together saying, whoa, Look at what Jesus has done. Let's together say whoa. Let's do that together. Won't you? So if you're here as a guest, if you're here as a friend, and someone has invited you, do you know why they invited you to come this morning? It's not so that you could just hear me talk. It's not so that you could just sing some songs. It's so that you could say whoa. So that you could understand who Jesus is and what he has done. And they, they can't help themselves but invite you in because it helps them. It helps increase the, the enjoyment of, of the object who is Christ. That's what we've centered our lives around. That's what we've centered our praise around. When I come each week, when we open the word each week, what, you know what I'm trying to do, painfully maybe for some of you? What I'm trying to do is to be able to, again, by opening the word of God, help you say, whoa. So you go, whoa to Christ. You say, whoa to God. And so that together we come together and we together again are, are enveloped in the praise of God and our praise becomes complete. That's what we're about. And if you don't understand this, then you will never understand Christian worship. This is vital to what we do, to why we gather. The community was together. Why did they forge the relationships? Why? What fueled them to forge the awkward, difficult, hard relationships? They did it because together, these people who were radically different from one another said, whoa, together. And they worshiped together. And therefore, they said, let's figure this out together. And that's the calling of the church. And I suggest to you again, if we want to live a life that really matters for now into eternity, we must be in different relationships with different people that are learning together, that are living together, and that are praising together. And it's transforming our lives. It's about connection. 
It's about participation. It's about investment. It's about involvement. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to force church attendance, right? That's not what this is about. It's not like, hey, let's get more people to come to the church. That's fine. I love that. It makes me feel warm and fuzzy inside. But that's not what this is about. It's about you being connected into a faith community that is going to be authentic and real, and they're going to forge these things out so that we can live lives that actually have significance and value for the glory of God. That's what this is about. And so uh, can I just talk to you a little bit about the summer? I've started, but so the cabin season is upon us, right? Some of you have already been, and it's great. And, and, And Hear me say, I celebrate that because you get to go be and forge relationships with people at the cabin around campfires and on water, and it's a beautiful thing with family and friends. That's that. But hear this. We do the Thursday service so that you can stay rooted and connected to your church family, your, 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 your faith community. It's not, it's not for our benefit. It's for your benefit so that you can come and stay connected. You can stay on the same page with your faith community. We want you here. We want you connected. We want you involved. We want you, we want you passionate about Christ, serving Christ with one another here. We have our, our services online. Both You can either podcast it or you can watch the video so that if you can't be here, that you can, you can stay connected to where we are. We... we over this series, I've been doing this thing I've, I call the after party. So if you, can't, if you can't forge out 35, 40 minutes to listen to the whole sermon, that you can get a 10-minute recap every Monday so that you can stay connected to where we are, to what we're learning together. So that, but you must continue to get connected into relationships with one another. I, I believe, I believe that there is significance to social media. I do believe that there is real connection that happens in that online space, but I do believe it's also not enough. It's too thin. It's not as robust as what we need. That you need to be here. You need to be connected to a faith community. You need to look eyeball to eyeball to people who are walking this, this journey together. We'd love for you to stay connected through the summer. We're going to do a series that's called Selah. We're going to spend a summer in the Psalms. And we have a reading list that we're going to give to you, a 90-day reading list, so that you can read through the Psalms together as a church. You can do it as a family. You can do it on your own. We're going to do it together. But that's what's coming. We'd love for you to be, continue to make a commitment to be devoted to the fellowship, to the fellowship. Finally, this. So there's different people. If we're going to live lives of significance, we need to be... Uh, we need to be in deep relationship with different people. We need to be devoted to community. And finally, we need deeds of mercy. Deeds of mercy. Verse 44. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. There is this, if we're going to live lives of significance, there has to be action attached to it. These deeds of mercy, they, they, they sold their own possessions in order that they might be able to take care of needs. But in order for this to happen, you know what first had to happen? There had to be vulnerability. Do you realize that? There has to be vulnerability in our, in our faith walk. Because in order for needs to be known, there had to be someone who said, I have a need. You know the last thing, you know the thing that all of us long for is vulnerability. And the last thing that we actually want is to be vulnerable to others or even to ourselves. 
We need vulnerability. We need to be a safe place where people can say, I have a need. I'm not perfect. I'm broken. I have a need. I am not well healed. And for us as a church to be able to say, I understand because I'm not either. Because every single one of us are, are broken clay pots that hold the glorious message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. None of us have it figured out. No matter what we look like on a Sunday morning, we walk into the building. No matter what we present on Facebook, none of us have it all figured out. We're all broken and we all have needs. And there is a level of vulnerability for us to be able to say to one another, if we are going to live lives that really matter and have real significance, then there has to be real vulnerability with the people of faith. To be able to say, I don't have it together. I have needs. There has to be real vulnerability, which is risky, which is hard, which is difficult, but is necessary if we're going to really live lives of significance with one another. So that not only is there vulnerability, but there is also generosity. There's also generosity. The people heard of the need and they sold their stuff so that there was people, the needs could be met. There's a responsibility that we can come alongside and meet one another's needs. We do that as a church when we hear of needs, but more importantly, you need to do that with one another, whether it's relational needs or emotional needs or financial needs or whatever the needs are, that we need to be at such a place where we know the needs and we can meet the needs, even if it means that we're sacrificing our own stuff so that we can go meet the needs of other people, of one another. This is the type of community that we're called to. This is the type, these are the types of relationships that we're, we're called to be in. And I, I, don't, I don't have it figured out. I don't, I don't know if we're doing it, but I want to. But it's scary and it's risky. But if we really want to live lives that matter now and on into eternity, then we must, be, we must have lives that are full of different people in devoted community sharing deeds of mercy with one another. That's the church. And there's pain involved. Friday, I was at a going away party for, for the Harrises as they leave. Many of you know them and, and have, been, have your lives touched by them. And we prayed for them as, they were, as, as they're going. And people were weeping because there's pain involved, because when, you when you're entrenched in one another's lives and when those lives are separated, then there's pain involved. There's risk involved. But, it's, but for dear friends, it is worth the risk. Every single time, it is worth the risk. Will you get hurt? Yes. Will you forge ahead and fix it for forgiveness? I hope so. Because the natural tendency in churches today is to just say, you know what, it's too hard, I'm gonna go to another church because there's tons of them out there. Let's not be that. Let's not be that. Let's buck the trends. Let's be those who say, I trust Jesus enough. I'm centered in Jesus enough that I will forge ahead, that I will be vulnerable, that I will help be a part of this community for the glory of God so that people are added to their number daily, those who are being saved. May God do that through us. Let's pray. Father, we so desperately long that we might live lives that matter for you, we don't hear, we're not here this morning touting all the things that we have right. We're here desperately asking that you will somehow use our broken attempts at, at walking in, in obedience to you. 
for your glory and that, uh, that those who are far from you might be able to be drawn near. Father, we come in dependence upon you, which is where we want to be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.